Hey everyone, it's Buck Green from Modern Combat and Survival, and welcome to podcast episode number 258. This week, I'm taking over the podcast, just this time, don't worry, because I want to talk about a subject I'm very passionate about, concealed carry gear. Specifically, I want to talk about concealed carry gear you're not carrying, but that you absolutely should. If you're loving the podcast, please give us your five-star rating and review and leave us a, uh, a rating wherever you get your podcast, whatever service you get through. Also, don't forget to grab this week's free show notes at www.mcsmagazine.com slash 258. You can download a PDF of the notes completely free, and I should know because I wrote them this week. <laughs> All right, uh, let's talk tactical concealed carry gear. Firearms training, urban survival, close quarters combat. This, this is another podcast to help you better prepare for any threat you may face in your role as a protector and a patriot. This is Modern Combat and Survival. Gear is something we all carry. The everyday carry gear people are out there. I am one of them. Uh, EDC is a great hashtag. Anywhere on social media you go, everybody's got pockets and pockets full of gear. Every time I empty my pockets of all the crap that I carry around, my girlfriend looks at me and says, you're really hauling all that around every day? And of course, uh, these same people who wonder, how can you possibly carry all that gear? They're the first people who are saying, hey, uh, you got a knife I could borrow? Hey, you got a flashlight I could borrow? You got this? You got that? Uh, the fact is, though, there are certain pieces of everyday carry gear, concealed carry gear, tactical concealed carry gear, that if you're not carrying it, you really should. As a matter of fact, you could make an argument that if you are a concealed carry holder, if you have a license to carry concealed, or if you're fortunate enough to live in a state where you don't even need a special license to carry, there are certain pieces of gear you really need to be carrying if you have a gun. It's sort of incumbent on you. Uh, you are responsible for having these things because if you don't, um, bad things could happen. You, you, you don't ever want, like, bad things can happen to you no matter where you are, but you don't ever want the bad things that happen to be the result of a lack of preparation on your part. That's sort of what drives all of preparedness and survival, after all. The idea that we can hedge our bets and prepare ourselves ahead of time so that we can mitigate problems before they arise, problems that we can't always predict, things that we don't necessarily know are coming. That's the, that's the nature of survival and preparedness. It's the assumption that something's going to happen and I want to make sure that I have the preparation, I have the gear, I have the tools that I need to be able to deal with those things. So you, as someone who carries a gun, uh, you know, the CCW lifestyle, however you want to put it, um, if you're not carrying around these additional items, then you really need to consider carrying them. Nobody's trying to put a gun to your head figuratively and tell you what you have to have in your pockets or on your person. But stop and think very seriously about whether or not you should be carrying these things because I argue that you really ought to. Uh, these are things that uh, when I am carrying or back when I could carry, I did carry. These are things that you should consider carrying when you can and when you do. The first of those items is something that I really resisted for a long time, and that is pepper spray. So item number one, pepper spray. I know a lot of people aren't comfortable with pepper sprays. Um, it's a pressurized aerosol in many cases. <clears throat> the idea of having something on you that could just explode at any moment. Um, I remember a horror story in in um, one of Masad Ayub's books, and, and we've interviewed Masad Ayub here for Modern Combat and Survival before. 
He described going on an airplane with his pepper spray. I guess that tells you what the, the era was when this happened, that he was able to do that and not have, you know, multiple armed TSA officers descend upon him, you know, without any magazines on their rifles, but let's not get into that. Um, he was flying. The change in pressure caused his pepper spray to leak. Now, it might have been Mace. I don't know. Uh, I can't remember. It was a long time ago when I read that book. It was one of his many books on concealed carry. Uh, and, and that sort of tactical lifestyle. But uh, temperature changes are bad for pepper spray. You don't ever want to leave your pepper spray in a car anywhere that it gets hot. Um, just the fumes from pepper spray are enough to make the inside of your car uninhabitable. Uh, I remember a news story about some kids who sprayed pepper spray around the halls in their school and they had to evacuate the whole area of the school, if not the whole building, because kids were smelling it and feeling ill. Um, and, you know, we're not even talking about getting sprayed in the face with pepper spray the way you're meant to be receiving this particular self-defense tool if you're the bad guy. We're talking about just the fumes, the noxious fumes. So given all that, I resisted carrying pepper spray for a long time. The fact is, though, that you need a less lethal option among your gear. Uh, if the only tool you have is a hammer, every problem looks like a nail, is the old saying. And the fact is that if all you have on you are tools capable of de delivering lethal force, then it's a bad thing when you are presented with a problem that requires less than lethal force. And right now I'm going to stop you. If you're thinking, well, I'm carrying a pistol, I could always pistol whip the guy. No, 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 no. You're not going to do that. Pistol whipping is one of those last last resort type of things, you know, when you've already emptied the gun because you were justified. Just anyway, we're not going to be beating anyone with our, our pistol empty or full. My point is, if you're going to prepare ahead of time, you should have a less lethal option. Pepper spray is one of those less lethal options. It is, for the most part, effective. Um, it's very often legal, even in states where guns are looked askance on that, that I can grammar good. Even in places where guns are highly restricted, it's not unusual to find pepper spray is legal. In New York, where I live, for example, uh, pepper spray is legal. They actually passed a law explicitly making it legal. The cops will still hassle you for having it because, you know, we live behind the Iron Curtain here. But the fact is, uh, pepper spray, more often than not, will be legal. It is seen as a tool of self-defense. It is generally not seen as an offensive weapon. This is not legal advice, though. You need to check your local laws. And if you're one of those people like me who really didn't didn't like the idea of having the whole cloud of noxious chemical thing going with, where pepper spray is concerned, consider that you can buy uh, pepper spray tools, OC tools, or the equivalent that, that have a more concentrated stream or even a gel. Uh, Kimber makes a great stream gun. I have one of those. Um, it looks like a little pistol. You can even carry it in a little pocket pistol holster sheath. Uh, you know, it's like a little nylon pocket sheath for the, for the plastic unit. Um, it has rudimentary sights. You can aim it. You've got two charges, so you get two shots out of the unit. It's a concentrated stream. It's actually powerful enough that if you're too close to the guy's eye, you could seriously hurt his eye. So that's something to consider when you're 
considering deploying the unit. Um, when the when it first came out, I think it was called like the the Life Act Guardian. That's not what they call it anymore. And it was a lot more expensive when it first came out. It wasn't shaped like a gun back then. It looked like something out of Star Trek. It looked like a like a pager or a little pocket phaser from Star Trek or something like that. Um, but now it's it's a it's a two shot stream gun essentially. Um, and there's also a product from Reflex Protect. Uh, which is a CS gel, so it's not pepper spray, but it's the same type of thing. Um, I've actually had the privilege of, of playing with the inert test version of the uh, the, the Reflex Protect. Uh, pep it's like a can of pepper spray. It's like one of those industrial strength cans. And you pull the trigger and you get a nice pressurized stream like something out of a super soaker. So you're not fogging the area. These are all things you can consider. There's tons more pepper spray options on the market. And if it's legal where you are, all you have to do is shop around a little. You can go for that little keychain unit, that stupid little keychain thing that everybody carries and nobody tests. Um, I will say this, if you're gonna buy pepper spray, buy two, at least two, so that you can take one out in the middle of an open field when there is no wind and test it out. See how far it goes, see how many blasts you get out of it. Um, that's something that you should always do when it comes to pepper spray. Make sure you know what it's going to be like. Understand, too, that if you're violently allergic to something like pepper spray, the time to find that out is not going to be when you use it for the first time in an actual altercation. Uh, so you might want to find that out beforehand. I, I had an old Kimber unit that I, it was one of the little phaser-shaped ones, and I broke the clip off it one time. Uh, and I was worried about carrying it in its damaged state so I went out into the backyard and I fired it off. Now, this unit was actually quite old, so I was pleased to see that it still worked after many years of just sitting unused. But it was so powerful that my tongue started to burn just from being in proximity to firing it. It, it, it wasn't real bad. It wasn't like I had been sprayed. I didn't catch any of the splatter. I just got a little bit of the fumes from the spray. So you need to know if that's going to affect you, and if so, if it's going to violently affect you. I don't know of anyone who's ever told me I'm allergic to pepper spray, but I've got to think there are people out there who are more sensitive than not. I mean, heck, your kids can't even bring peanut butter to school anymore these days. All right, so uh, item number one, pepper spray. If you're not carrying it, you should. You need that less lethal option. Item number two, and this is going to sound a little on the nose, but the second thing you should be carrying if you carry a gun is another gun. <laughs> Yo, dog, we heard you like guns, so we put a gun in your gun so you can shoot while you shoot. I'm sorry, I'm dating myself with that memetic reference. Um, when it comes to carrying a backup gun, even if you carry extra ammunition, uh, you might run out of that ammunition in an extended altercation. More than likely, you won't be able to use that extra ammunition. Um, the, the New York Reload, the, the, the have an extra gun option, is specifically so that if you run out of ammo or you can't reload your gun, you still have the ability to put rounds on target. Um, yes, you can do combat reloads with a full-size pistol. You know, people train for that. Uh, and you can even do it with a compact pistol if you practice. But a lot of you are carrying small pocket guns, and those are really hard to reload. Like, for example, if there's anybody listening to this who's carrying a North American Arms mini revolver, I applaud your choice. I think those are neat little guns, but there's no way you're reloading that under fire, under the adrenaline dump of an actual altercation. You've got to pull that little pin out and take the whole cylinder out and tap out the empties and put in new ones. You're not going to do any of that. 
Um, other guns, you know, that have removable magazines, they're still hard to reload under uh, adrenaline, under pressure when you're actually being attacked. And even your full-size gun, think about trying to pop the magazine out, put the new magazine in, rack that slide while somebody is trying to beat the ever-loving hell out of you. You know, having another gun that you can draw and fire is just a great thing. Uh, a, a backup gun is also essential if your primary gun jams. Um, in a fight, your gun jams, it becomes a paperweight. And you might think, well, I have a very reliable gun. It's never going to happen to me. Well, it could. I was uh, in a shooting class once with my Glock 19. They had us fire left-handed to get the feel of it. Well, I didn't know you could do this with a Glock, but I limp-wristed it because my left hand was weak in comparison to my right, and the gun jammed, and it jammed so badly that we had to take it off the firing line uh, in order to unjam it. And it turns out I actually um, I might have even had some bad ammunition or something that where the casing was the wrong size because it got really stuck. We had to shove the slide against like the wooden frame of the of the shooting bench in order to pop it open and get that round out of there. But my point is the gun was a paperweight. There was no way I was going to use that gun uh, until serious uh, remediation took, took place. So if that happens to you, if your gun becomes a paperweight mid-fight, you need to be able to draw another weapon and keep fighting. Otherwise, you're reduced to beating him with the gun, uh, which we've already discussed. A backup gun also gives you the option of arming a friend or a family member, and you might scoff at that notion, but what if it's like a, an active shooter scenario or a home invasion? Uh, we've said before in other broadcasts and in other materials we've put out at Modern Combat and Survival that you should be carrying your gun when you're home so that it's there and on you when you need it so that you can fight to a better weapon or fight off a home invasion that happens sometimes in the blink of an eye. You're minding your own business. You're sitting in your easy chair. You're home. You're relaxing. The door gets kicked in and suddenly they're there. Well, if you're carrying that gun, carrying the backup gun just makes good sense. So uh, consider item number two, if you carry a gun, you should be carrying another gun, a backup gun. Uh, ideally, your backup gun and your primary gun would have some compatibility with each other too, but that's not, strictly speaking, uh, you know, it's not the law. It, it's, your mileage may vary, do what works for you. All right, item number three, and this is near and dear to my heart, is a flashlight. If you are not carrying a flashlight and you do carry a gun, shame on you. Uh, that's because, for one thing, flashlights are so cheap and so bright. Uh, you know, a high-tech aluminum flashlight with, a, with an LED in it, those cost nothing. Those cost a couple of dollars on Amazon. And I, I, I'm not exaggerating. I mean, two or three dollars can get you an aluminum LED flashlight with a tail cap switch off of Amazon. Now, it's not the highest quality, but it'll still, it's still better than nothing. And you know, you and I both know that you've spent a lot more money on other pieces of gear you carry. So if you don't have a flashlight, you should get one. Um, you know, the aluminum flashlights with or without that crenellated bezel, uh, you know, the thing that, that makes uh, uh, little cookie cutter imprints on his flesh when you hit him, you don't necessarily need to have that. You just need to have something hard and rigid, which is the aluminum body of the flashlight that concentrates the force of your blow into his skull and really makes him feel it. So the flashlight can be used as a striking implement, but it also has incredible utility value. Um, I use my flashlight all the time just to see things, just as a flashlight. Um, if you're walking at night, that flashlight is your best friend. The strobe feature can help 
help make you more visible if you have that on your flashlight. Just blinking the flashlight on and off when cars are coming your way or when you're crossing through an intersection lets people know that you're there. I remember I was walking at night in the Boston area once during a during a vacation and I happened to have uh, what was at the time an expensive LED flashlight. You can get those for nothing now. Um, and I was crossing streets, very busy streets. And I don't know if you've ever driven in New England, but little old ladies in Volvos were flying by me at 90 miles an hour going, get off the road, you tourist. You know, like I've never before felt like I could drive as fast as I was physically capable of going and still not be going fast enough. So imagine now you're a pedestrian walking through that traffic at night, having the flashlight to let drivers know that I was there really helped me to feel a lot safer. But all of that Everything I've just discussed when it comes to flashlights is a bonus because the reason you need to be carrying a flashlight if you carry a gun is so that you can identify your target. There is no excuse for shooting the wrong person. And every time I read one of those horrible, tragic news stories about some dad who shot his own son or daughter because they came home in the middle of the night and he thought it was an intruder and he fired into the darkness and ended up killing a loved one, like... That wrenches my heart, and it's so avoidable. It's so preventable. There's no reason for it. Just have a flashlight so that in low-light conditions, you can identify your target. Make sure it has a tail cap switch. Make sure it's made out of aluminum, if at all possible, so that it makes a better striking implement. Even a plastic flashlight will do, but aluminum is better. Um, make sure it's nice and bright and keep the batteries fresh. And that's all you need to do. Use it for utility. Use it every day. Make sure that it'll serve you when you need it. One thing to think about when it comes to those cheap uh, LED flashlights, they stop working reliably after a while. And I don't know if it's because the contacts get dirty or it's just the nature of the technology, but every so often a new set of batteries doesn't help and you've got to replace them. But they're cheap enough that you absolutely can. It's no big deal. All right, uh, so we covered item number one, pepper spray. Item number two, another gun. Item number three, your flashlight. That brings us to item number four of tactical concealed carry gear that you're not carrying but should. And I know you're going to hate me for saying this, but we're going to come to that after these messages. We're also going to talk about an item that you may not have considered that is an outgrowth of a very disturbing trend in today's society, uh, something that I really hate thinking about, but that we, which we all should. And we're going to get to that as well. So items number four and five after these messages. What if everything you knew about how to stop a violent attacker with your gun was wrong? Discover the advanced tactics you must know now to protect yourself and those you love with a firearm. Check out our free book, Stopping Power Secrets. Inside, you'll find such no-hold-barred shockers as one, the three most common myths and misinformation shoveled out by movies and gun range know-it-alls that could get you killed in a real-life gunfight. Two, the cold, hard truth about your personal weapon's ability to be a one-shot man-stopper. Three, what coroners know about selecting the right ammo for your firearm that you don't. Four, and the simple training trick used by Abrams tank crews and commercial airline pilots that will prepare you for a real attack even better than your best day at the range. Don't place your family's safety in the hands of Hollywood fairy tales and hearsay. Claim your free copy of Stopping Power Secrets now, now. at www.stoppingpowersecrets.com. And now, back to the show. And we're back. I'm, I'm sorry. 
<laughs> I'm sorry. I've always wanted to do that. Um, we're back. We're, we're back at Modern Combat and Survival. So far, we have discussed, uh, f- let's see, three of the items you should be carrying that you probably aren't for concealed carry. One was pepper spray. Two was another gun. Three was a flashlight. We're now ready to talk about item number four. This is another item that really makes perfect sense, and I'm willing to bet that you don't carry this because very few people actually do, and that is a tourniquet. There's a lot of debate about what type of tourniquet is most useful. Um, That's kind of outside the scope of this podcast. You can do your own research on that. We could probably do an entire podcast just on tourniquets. Um, and the fact is, uh, there's multiple different types. There's the, the combat application tourniquet, the, the stretch wrap and tuck tourniquet. So you've got CAT and SWAT. There's a bunch of others um, that all have different terminology associated with them. Uh, the fact is, a tourniquet is your, it might be the only effective means you have of stopping severe blood loss from a vein or artery. Um, and why is that important? Well, because. If you carry a gun, you might get into a gun fight. And if you get into a gun fight, you just might get shot. Uh, and when that happens, you need to have some way of stemming the blood loss because you could sustain a wound that is not immediately fatal that with treatment won't be, but that without treatment could result in, the term is exsanguination, if I'm not mistaken, and that is you losing all your blood and dying. And I think uh, death happens before you've lost it all. <laughs> I, I don't know technically how much blood you have to lose before you die from it, but I intend to keep all my blood inside me. And failing that, I would like to keep as much of it in me as possible, and so should you, which is why you need a tourniquet. Uh, I went to a shooting class once where the first thing the instructor said was, all right, who's got a tourniquet? And then they covered, like, if somebody were to sustain an accidental gunshot wound in the course of this live fire class, what the plan was going to be, who was going to apply the tourniquet, who was going to be driving that person to the hospital or calling 911, etc. That's the type of planning you need to think about when it comes to firearms. This is not a game. It's, it's very serious business having a firearm, carrying a firearm, using a firearm in self-defense. Uh, so it makes good sense for you to have a tourniquet. Um, understand, too, that you can improvise a tourniquet. Um, you can use a belt. You can use uh, a rope. Uh, you could use a, a T-shirt that has been rolled up, uh, you know, like uh, or a towel. You know, like you know how when you used to whip your towel in gym class at people. Well, you could you can roll up any piece of cloth and theoretically use it as a tourniquet if you tighten it enough with something. Uh, forgive the phrase, long and hard. Uh, you know, a pen, a ruler, a stick. Uh, anything like that that can be used to apply pressure to the, the the rope or the belt or whatever it is, you keep turning it and turning it in order to make the tourniquet tighter and tighter. Um, however, the time to go looking for improvised tourniquets is, like, there's never a good time for that. After you've been shot, that's not when you want to start brainstorming how to improvise a tourniquet. They're not that expensive. It doesn't take that much to get one ahead of time. And they're not that bulky. It's easy to carry one around. They're, they even make on the market our tourniquet kits that are made for ease of carry, however they're packaged. So you really need to consider uh, carrying a tourniquet if you carry a gun. It, it just makes good sense. Finally, uh, the last item, item number five, it's something that I find deeply disturbing that these products even have to exist. Um, I think it's great that they do, but it bothers me that we live in a world that is so far gone that we have to consider this eventuality. 
Uh, what I'm talking about are bulletproof shields, bulletproof clothing, bulletproof bags. Um, one of the first products of this type that I remember seeing on the market was an insert the size of a briefcase. Uh, I don't know if you carry a briefcase or ever have, but uh, I used to in a previous life. I was uh, I would go about businessing as a business person, and uh, I actually have an accounting degree. That's a fun fact about Buck Green you did not know, but. Every briefcase has like a little folder pouch on the inside of the lid that runs the length of the lid. There was a company that uh, probably still is, used to sell, probably still is selling these bulletproof inserts. It's like a Kevlar plate that you put inside the briefcase so that in a shooting, in an active shooting type situation, um, if you can hear that, that's somebody driving by the building in, on a very loud motorcycle. Um, in an active shooting, you uh, would use your your bulletproof briefcase to Captain America your way through the through the shooting, you've got a shield. Now, obviously, the limitation of a briefcase shield is that it's only as big as a briefcase. So, you know, you've got to hold it up and hope, basically. Now, it's better than nothing, but uh, I would say a bulletproof shield is at the the low end of, of what can be done with today's modern bulletproof materials. Um, I've also seen on the market, <clears throat> it, it's a it's a tragedy of the world we live in that our kids are going to school with like clear plastic backpacks because they're not allowed anything else because it helps prevent them from smuggling weapons into school. Uh, in those schools that don't require that, you could send your child to school with a bulletproof backpack. This is a product that people make uh, so that they can uh, use it, again, like the briefcase shield, as a shield in an active shooting. It horrifies me to think that uh, any of our children would have to face that eventuality, but that is the that is the horrifying world we live in. Have I said that it's horrifying enough times yet? Because it really, really is. But uh, the the idea of a of a, a briefcase or a backpack again only partial protection. So you might be thinking, well, what about just going with a bulletproof vest? Well, a bulletproof vest is an option, and in many places you can buy one. You can even buy a really nice one. I know that in some places they have these wrong-headed laws in place that make it illegal for private citizens to have them. And the intent is to prevent like that, that awful California shooting that was like something out of a movie. And they've since made a movie out of it, so it is something out of a movie. But uh, it, it was when it, when it happened, it was like something out of the movie Heat. These guys wearing body armor with fully automatic weapons that were either illegally converted or illegally purchased um, tried to pull off a bank heist, and man, they were, they were loaded for bear. They had more firepower than the cops. The cops actually, if I remember the incident correctly, had to get more guns from a local gun shop because they just didn't have enough firepower. Well, laws that make it illegal for private citizens to have bulletproof vests, or more commonly, to commit crimes while wearing bulletproof vests. You know, it's just like a, a severity enhancer. It makes the crime worse if they're wearing a bulletproof vest when they do it. The whole point is to criminalize people, making it harder for cops to kill them when they're committing violent crimes. Most, for most of you, you can still get a bulletproof vest, but let's be honest, you're not going to wear that. A bulletproof vest is hot, it's bulky, it looks weird. Most of us are never going to walk around in our day-to-day -day life uh, wearing that type of, of gear. It's, it's not. It's just not practical. So where does that leave us? Well, 
there's a product that the self-defense company makes. It's a bulletproof jacket. It just looks like a jacket. It's even got pouches for uh, concealed carry on either side. Um, and it's pretty smart looking. Um, I think, I'm pretty sure the owner of the self-defense company is the model for the jacket. And he cuts a pretty imposing figure, I got to say, wearing that jacket. Uh, uh, I know him. We're friends. Uh, but that is a great product because we all wear jackets except for in the hottest weather. Think about it. If you were in a shooting and you were wearing your bulletproof jacket, I mean, bulletproof is kind of a misnomer. All bulletproof products are really just bullet resistant. But the fact is anything that could help stop a bullet from going through your body is a good thing. So if you were wearing this when you got into a gunfight, you would be that much better equipped and that much better prepared to survive that situation. And that's what matters. So to review, uh, if you carry a gun, you should be carrying pepper spray for a less lethal option. You should be carrying a backup gun in case your primary gun uh, it runs out or jams or you just can't reload it in the heat of an encounter. You should be carrying a flashlight, most importantly, so that you can identify your target in low light. You should be carrying a tourniquet so that you or someone you know does not bleed to death from what would otherwise be a uh, non-fatal wound. And you may even want to consider bulletproof clothing, such as the bulletproof coat or jacket that the self-defense company sells. If you have downloaded the free cheat sheet, uh, that's www.mcsmagazine.com slash 258 for podcast number 258, there will be a link for that uh, product right on the cheat sheet in the resources section. So uh, consider that. Um, and really, I don't know what more I can say on the topic of tactical concealed carry gear. Gear is not a solution. Just because you have stuff doesn't mean you have the training to use it and doesn't mean you have the will, the wherewithal to use it. But it is a start. Uh, a lot of us, and this is a problem in the West, we, we acquire gear, we buy books or videos, and it's like we feel like we then have the knowledge. You've actually got to read the books. You've actually got to go through the videos. You've actually got to practice with your gear, you know, do dry fire training, do all of the, the many training resources that we offer here at MCS Magazine uh, are a great option. Just get out there and get practicing uh, and, and get prepared. That's all I can say. It's very important. I want you and everyone you care about to stay safe. Having the right gear, preparing ahead of time, and training is all part of that. Anyway, for Modern Combat and Survival, pinch hitting for Jeff Anderson this episode. And until our next Modern Combat and Survival podcast, this is Buck Green saying, prepare, train, and survive. This has been Modern Combat and Survival. survival. We hope you've enjoyed the show. You can help us out by rating our podcast on iTunes and leaving a comment. You can check us out on Facebook at facebook.com backslash Modern Combat and Survival. And don't forget to claim your free subscription to Modern Combat and Survival magazine at www.moderncombatandsurvival.com. Lock and load. And we'll see you next time. This has been Modern Combat and Survival. <laughs>